everyone. How are you? My name is Paola Alvarado. I'm a former player and we are talking about football. We are so excited to uh, have our special guest. Mike uh, is for uh, the amazing team, uh, Poland Timbers and Poland Thorns. And we are very excited to have this conversation today. And today we're talking about uh, football within the U.S. So the U.S. has been uh, around uh, football for a very long time, even though it might not seem that way. Uh, the men have been to four World Cups uh, and the women have been to all uh, FIFA World Cups, winning four. So we're the the uh, reigning champions. Uh, Columbus is also the champions of the MLS and the Thorns are the current uh, Challenge Cup winners of the NWSL. Um, Okay, and well, to start this amazing conversation, I'm gonna say hi, Mike. Thank you for coming here. And we're gonna want to start this like it's very interesting how Concacaf, um, near to like far to be a, a, a like a difficult confederation or something like that. We are at the same. We are like a family. And before we are um, recording this podcast, we were talking about like Portland have a good connection with Costa Rica. And please tell me something about what is your passion, what is something that you love, and that connection that we have in Concacaf. Yeah, it's been a it's been a really um, remarkable. Um, couple of decades for the sport in, in, in the CONCACAF region and, and, and certainly in the United States. Um, on the men's side, Major League Soccer is now in its uh, 27th season and the growth of teams, uh, the quality of play, the attendance growth, the relevance, um, the broadcast presence. It's been a remarkable trajectory for the men's game in a short 27 years. And obviously lots of growth still uh, to, to um, happen and necessary, but the state of the game um, on the men's side, and I'll get to the, the women's side in a moment, is really exciting for all of us in the sport here um, in North America. And, and, and you, see that, um, you see that throughout the CONCACAF region to a certain extent. I think some countries are ahead of others. Um, on the women's side here in, in, um, in the States, we are, um, as many of your listeners may know, we are now in our ninth season in the NWSL, the North, the, the National Women's Soccer League. And it's uh, our team, the Thorns, um, are one of the original members. And it's arguably the best women's league in the world. There are some great teams in other countries around the world, but top to bottom, it is an incredibly uh, competitive league. And the business of the NWSL is also growing uh, really uh, in an exciting fashion. Um, we averaged before COVID 20,000 fans a game, um, which you just don't see much in women's football and around our league. There's other success stories like that. Next year, there are teams coming in in San Diego and Los Angeles. So the league will continue to grow. Um, we just, um, Paola and Bradley and I were talking before the um, podcast began, but we just finished uh, the WICC tournament that was held here in Portland last weekend. So we had Houston who had won the Challenge Cup in the NWSL last year, Lyon who's won so many European uh, championships, 
Barcelona, who um, just came off a championship, play in a tournament that um, you know the Thorns prevailed, but it wasn't as much as who won, just the fact that it was a really relevant, meaningful competition broadcast here in the States on ESPN. And so it's not something you would necessarily have seen even five, you know, eight years ago. So all that said, it's, it's a really, you know, we're in the early days of, of, of soccer growth in, in our country and in the, in the CONCACAF region, you know, we're, we're playing catch up in a lot of respects, but um, the last decade, two decades have been a really important and meaningful period uh, for the sport. How would you view uh, the, I guess, the, the, the massive growth of the sport um, within uh, grassroots going through the academy into in, uh, kind of talk, progressing through the, the, nor- the, the American um, uh, way of getting, getting to the pro level compared to, the, the, uh, to Europe where there's, it's mostly going through the academy and then going straight in instead of going to college and kind of building uh, that, uh, building like a support system within Portland and then within the, uh, and around the U.S.? Yeah, Bradley, it's a great question. Um, and for your, your listeners who may not be familiar with the sports um, environment here in, in the States, we are, you know, the sport of soccer is c- competing for the best boys and girl athletes with uh, so many other major sports. Um, NBA, NFL, NHL, um, uh, et cetera. Um, so there are the competitive landscape for professional sports in our country um, is arguably unique. And so we have to, as a sport, both on the boys and girls side, capture the, the young athletes at an early age. And historically, as you point out in Europe, um, that's been done in the academy. In the States, much like the NBA and the NFL, historically, it's been players come up through their respective clubs and high schools, go to college, and then get drafted uh, into the league. And that's still, still on the women's side, still very much the path. Um, most of the best players in our country come through uh, collegiate programs and the college yeah. program on the women's side is at a very high level, but that's starting to change to your question. Um, MLS clubs and NWSL clubs um, have academies, some very longstanding, some relatively new. And we are seeing, you know, as you might imagine, that's not an instant thing, right? It it takes time for players to develop, to identify players, but it's starting to, um, it's really starting to pay dividends. You see that on the men's side, there's some clubs like Dallas and Philadelphia and others who've been very successful at developing players through their system. And, and um, Busio was just sold to uh, a La Liga team. I'm sorry, a Serie A team um, in the last uh, month uh, who came up through the Sporting KC Academy and system. And so that is happening more and more. You know, again, the women's side is a little bit behind, but we – uh, we have a player, Olivia Moultrie. Um, maybe some of your listeners have heard about her, um, but she was 
uh, signed a letter of intent to play at the University of North Carolina, age 13, uh, opted to instead uh, turn pro and signed a deal with, with Nike. Um, came to our academy and through our academy, again, age 13. And uh, she is now on the first team with the Thorns and playing and scoring in the, in the WICC and, and um, you know, has the potential to be a really meaningful player for our sport for a long time. Um, and so those kind of success stories and um, player paths, I think you'll see more and more as um, our teams invest more and more in the academies. And Mike, you say different things that it's impressive for me, like a former player. I'm also I'm a physical educator, and also I have a master in leadership. Uh, so I have two backgrounds, right? The first one, like a teacher, like a coach, like a person who improves all these people to to go inside the, the, the sports. And I also have the background like a former player when 10 years ago or 15 years ago, kinda, um, United States was amazing in, in girls and boys, I can say, like, like a national team, right? But maybe like a league, it was like behind thinking about Europe, right? Always thinking with Central America, they always are like one step from us. Just thinking about infrastructure, like we talked uh, the last podcast, um, the really, really, we need some uh, changes here in Central America or money or support, also people. We have uh, a few uh, options to have a good sports in our countries, right? Because we are a few. Uh, but one of the things like a former player that is impressive for me is that jump that you had in 10 years, um, 10 years ago, I can say like, oh, I, I want to go and study in the college. And maybe for us, it was like, oh, it's not a good option. Uh, but right now is the option. Right now it's the jump to be a professional, to have the college, to have this opportunity to jump to this, like, for example, uh, uh, Thorns or any soccer um, team in the United States. So how do you think, like, that jump was so strong and so sustainable that uh, it's like a project and it's a business for the future? Yeah, Paolo, Paolo it's a great question. And... Um... You know, what, what's, what's um, you know, I think we all understand is that for the so sport of soccer to flourish anywhere, um, it has to be in lockstep with the, the realities of economics. And in the case of women's soccer in, in our country, as you may know, we've had two failed leagues uh, prior to the NWSL launching in 2013. And while there are many variables in the end, it was the, the economics, underlying economics of the league were just not sustainable. And so if we all want to provide a path for young women to uh, play professional soccer and play at the highest levels, we've got to create an economic 
model, a league, and then an economic model that's sustainable. And what that requires are, first of all, owners that you know care about the future of the, sp the sport and are willing to invest, and in many cases willing to absorb early you know losses for uh, financial losses for a while as the league develops. It requires all of us investing in the right facilities uh, for academies, but also the first team, stadium, and training grounds. And that's that element has really come a long way in our country, again, in the last decade, 15 years, both on the men's and women's side. But the facility piece is a huge component of it. And so, um, you know, what's, you know, current NWSL players, they get, they, they understand most of them that what they're doing is paving the way for future generations of players. And while, you know, and the hope is much like MLS players 20 years ago weren't earning what current players are earning, um, that will be the case, we ho all hope, 20 years from now in the NWSL. And so it's a journey, but it's, it's I think we all have to be realistic about the, the making sure that financial and economic model is viable because without that, then the opportunity for uh, women uh, today and in future, in future years won't be possible. And that's really been the difference, uh, Paola, uh, of this iteration of women's professional soccer um, in the end of it. So it's, we've got a long way to go and it's not been, you know, it's been challenging at times, um, but we also are on sort of the most stable ground that any women's professional soccer league has been. Um, and that's exciting. So and great before, question. Before Bradley say uh, the next uh, comment, I really, really love that you say that because sometimes uh, people really want it, like do the, that jump in one day, right? Uh, and it's like a process. You, you cannot start giving everything and you don't know what is gonna happen tomorrow. And, but if you go like slow and stronger, that it's gonna be a good business, like at the end, that it's something that I'm really understand right now. It's like soccer, football, or any sport, it's a real business and you have to take care right. of that. Right. When, I guess when you look at the, the MLS and the NWSL, like I guess from an outsider's perspective, if you're not from either the US or uh, parts of North America who understand the league, Uh, I guess they, they don't, they, they see it as more of a, like a retirement league because of the, the, the roster rules in, uh, in, in place. How, how do, how do you change? I, I mean, it, it clearly isn't because the, the rules are there in place to, to keep it economically viable and not overspending and making teams go broke and, having the league collapse. Um, how, how do you kind of change the perception of, of both of the league of the MLS and then for the NWSL, um, kind of how they're growing? Um, I mean, from having no teams in California to having two next year, um, how, how is that changing the, the audience within, within the NWSL? 
Bradley, when you say perception, perception from whom? Uh, perception uh, of an outsider's perspective. So let's say like Europe. Yeah, I, I think Paola is right that it's not an overnight thing. It's not flipping a switch. It's um, doing what we do here in Portland and put 20,000 fans a game. That gets a lot of attention around the world. It's us beating, you know, Lyon, one of the apparently one of the best teams in, in the world in, in a match. Um, it's going to major markets with exciting new expansion teams like we'll see next year with L.A. and, and San Diego, like we saw this year with Louisville. Um, it's continue to produce, you know, the amazing national teams. And by the way, we haven't talked about that, but, you know, one of the major reasons why it's important to have a really successful domestic league, I think everybody understands, is, is that it, it bolsters your national team. And, you know, the U.S. national team, while disappointing the Olympics, is still arguably, you know, the best national team in the world. And, um, but that gap is closing. And the gap is closing in part because other countries and other federations around the world are investing in their domestic leagues. Um, and so we have to continue to do the same to stay, you know, stay a dominant national team. So there's no panacea or, you know, instant formula, uh, Bradley. It's just continue to do all the right things, put the best product on the field uh, that we can. And we think we're really proud of the, the quality of the women's game. Uh, in the NWSL, um, putting, you know, great events on in great stadium and drawing increasingly large crowds, which in large part we've done. Um, it's having really great national broadcasts and international broadcast partners, uh, which the NWSL has done and is doing. So our games um, are on Twitch throughout the world and getting really good audiences and on CBS and their family of stations, networks here in, in the States. And so it's doing all the right things on an ongoing day-to-day -day basis and, and, and chipping away. And, um, but, you know, the fundamentals are high quality products on the field in great facilities and really strong fan bases and really great media coverage. And if we do all those things in concert, then it will continue to grow. Yeah, I, I think just watching Portland, both the, the Timbers and the Thorns every every weekend uh, is, uh, you, it definitely comes across as probably the, I mean, for the, the Thorns specifically, probably the best uh, atmosphere and viewing uh, uh, for women's football around the world, just because the, the, fan, the fan base is there, you hear them, you see them, and the being being in the stadium right. is 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 unlike anything else. So, yeah. And and trying to connect this with my son, uh, the next comment that I had it was about like what what things it's different about the the other teams in the league. And I think you too are saying like being different, the fan base that you had, again, it's a business, right? And you have to have your, your people who is uh, following you um, have to be happy. And I'm gonna put like a little example that how you can connect with people around the world uh, 
like for example, Ronnie Wallace, the last week, I think, he retired for soccer. And maybe for another person, it's not important, but for Costa Rican, it was like a thing, like, oh my God, they hired Rodney Wallace for one day and he had this uh, environment for him. So for Costa Rican, it's important, right? So people like us or people around the world can see that little details that maybe uh, people who is not inside the soccer don't understand, but people who love the game understand that that things make the difference. Um, uh, it's not about Portland and uh, Timbers or, um, or Thorns, but for example, uh, one of these amazing players uh, from United States, Donovan, say like, go and play in Ricardo Zaprisa is one of the worst days of my life. <laughs> And maybe Costa Rica wasn't a good team in that moment, but that experience, it's in the head of him and that thing plays. So for example, now, if you say Timbers or Thorns, you already know that you have experience and you have to be prepared, not just because you're gonna play, it's because you have to go, you have the, the fame base very strong, you know, like if they score, they're gonna celebrate. So who was the, the person or why Portland is doing this? I know like you make things for a reason, but when you understand like this, it's more than 11 people running with the ball. Yeah, you know, it's, it's uh, that's right. I think that's well said, Paola. I think, you know, listen, we're, we're in the business of just bringing people together and creating moments and memories and and community and I think it's you can never lose sight of the fact that we're in we're all in this to touch lives and maybe make people's lives a little bit better or more enjoyable or you know break down some of the walls that seem to exist um, in our society and so you know we're 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 a business made up of humans. And our fans, our players, and we should never lose sight of that, and always treat people uh, with the kind of respect and dignity and grace that we we want them back. And and have and if that's the culture around your team in the locker room and in the stands and in the community, then you're going to be successful. And so that's that's always been kind of our mantra and the way we went about doing it. And so the Rodney example that you. Uh, illustrated um, Rodney Wallace retiring. It, it, it was just such a obvious natural thing because he was one of us, is one of us. And even though he left the organization for a while, he was, you know, always part of the family. And so this was just a natural thing. And, um, you know, for those, for him and his family and for our fans, it was just one of those really special moments, just um, recognizing someone who was a big part of what we did. And it was just it was just really awesome. And that's what sports can do. It can, it can create those moments. It wasn't about a game or a result. It was just about, you know, recognizing a person for his contribution and his, his history and his legacy here. And it was, it was, it was awesome. Um, and so that wasn't just a natural outgrowth, of, I think, of who we are as a club. When you're thinking of, 
I mean, when you when you think of Portland, you always think of Soccer City. Um, how did you build that brand for for the for the team, and how is it kind of stuck for for the city? Yeah, you know, we were lucky in that um, you know the Timbers were really first born in 1975 when there was a league that formed called the North American Soccer League, and the Timbers were really successful then, and a lot of the original players. Uh, stayed in Portland long after the league folded and started soccer clubs and coached at the local university. And so we had this soccer culture that dated back um, in nearly like 35 years before the Timbers of MLS uh, joined. So we had that the history and that backdrop and that foundation of a soccer culture. Uh, but I think it was just, it, 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 it was and continues to be just a matter of being a part of the, 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 the fabric of, of, of the community and, and letting those soccer supporters who eat, breathe, drink, and tattoo the Timbers and Thorns be who they are and be, there's no better marketing and no better ambassadors um, for um, our club than our supporters. Uh, and they're out there in the community um, supporting us every day and we wanna give them voice hear their voice and have them inform our decisions, but also give them voice um, in, in defining who the club is. And so that, you know, it's not us dictating or engineering or fabricating this, it's us creating the environment and the conditions and the backdrop, if you will, for fans to become, uh, to do their thing. And so that's a big part of our brand is, is it's defined by our supporters and our community and not a top-down way of thinking. And one of my less questions or comments or listen to you is like, I, I believe that the process, uh, they are good and do projects um, always have some good results. How thinking that I'm, I want to learn about the best people around the football and I want to um, change my environment or help uh, the game. How you have this family to believe in the same project? And I'm gonna do an example. Maybe uh, we are thinking like people are not supporting the women's football but it's not because the business is not playing. It's just because the soccer players don't believe that this can be a thing. How can I explain this better? Maybe uh, my company, I'm gonna do this example, really want to invest in girls, but the girls don't want to be professional. Don't be, it's not because they don't want to be professional. It's because they, they never, being professional. So how you can change that or how you can um, help that process that, okay, I'm gonna invest in you, but now you have to um, be professional with me. How you can do that change when in some leagues, for example, here in Costa Rica have a lot of years and we cannot do that jump. Yeah, it's 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 a loaded question, Paola, and, and there's no easy answers. It's just 
we've you've got to just get champions at every level on the youth level um the recreation level on the club level on the professional level you've got to get champions and people you know change comes from from um inspiration uh and leadership but also a lot of hard work and um and we've got to all find people who so believe in the game and the future of the game and, and our players and, and our fans. And, and, you know, you were, for someone so young, you're very wise to, to understand that as much as we'd like to kind of blink our eyes and, and wake up tomorrow morning and have the state of, of football and women's football be dramatically different than it is today. It's unrealistic. Uh, but, um, you know, as I described at the top of the podcast, it is realistic to think that in 10 years, um, and we've seen this in the NWSL and the MLS, in 10 years, that big change can happen. But you got to have the champions. You've got to pay people believe. People put their money where their mouth is. And, um, and also tell our stories and celebrate. Celebrate the successes, right? There's no better, you know, there's no better, you know, there's no better agent for change than bringing someone to their first game and seeing and having them experience it. Um, you know, if someone came to the WICC final on Sunday for the first time, and that was their first exposure to women's football, I think they would have been changed. And so the more we can expose people to the, the joy and beauty and, and um, enjoyment of football, women's football in particular, um, the more likely they're going to be advocates and champions, investors and supporters. And so we've just got to keep getting, and we've, and we've got to do, I, I do. And, and, and that's why CONCACAF is important and FIFA is important. We've got to do that on a global basis and, um, you know, and to help tell each other stories. And, um, you know, there isn't a women's club championship. Um, that, and what we played in is basically that, but it, there isn't a FIFA world cup of clubs. Um, and so we just got to, we just got to keep pushing, keep advocating, even, you know, what you guys are doing, telling the story and studying it and doing podcasts. And, you know, you two are from different countries and you've come together and you're, you know, that, that's, that adds all adds up. That's all part of the, the equation. So, um, so it's, it's gotta be a, you know, it's, it's a, it's a mission-based thing for all of us in the business. And, the more people we can kind of get on board on the train, the better. And, um, you know, it is exciting to know that, you know, here in the States and throughout the world, for that matter, the state of football and women's football in particular is dramatically different and better than it was just a decade ago. And if we keep doing what we're doing together, that we could say the same thing 10 years from now. That is very impressive. And, and we, already have like the time to do the close and Bradley and I we love to close always the podcast because we say that we want to change the future for the business for a good, a good way but we cannot do that if we don't have a reflection about it so we always love to do the things it's like um say what you can uh save about this conversation and what we want to do like in the future um to change that so Bradley do you want to do the honors to start and then Mike and then sure yeah 
I, I like what we were saying before. Um, I mean, probably building building champions is a is a is a massive thing. Um, and kind of leaning into the stories of everyone else, along with kind of like like we we just touched upon with kind of building internationally too, because you're not it, it's not gonna be a foothold especially women's football around the world, if not everyone embraces it. So I think for me, when, when I see the, the, the start of like a women's club world cup and uh, the, the CONCACAF uh, champions league for women, um, I think that it'll be, it'll be a, a massive step up for, for the, for, for the, the game. Um, but also uh, economically you can't, take a massive leap without having the idea of what you're actually doing and you need to understand how how to keep it sustainable whether it be on the men's or women's side of the game yeah i think that's exactly right yeah and well for me i really love that uh the words that you said you have to have like leadership in your organization, you have to have like inspired your your team. And one of the things that I love it, it was like uh, at the end we are like a family. It's one of one of us. So you have identity, right? That uh, it's different play or work in a share in a place that um, that you love or a place that you have just because I have to work or play. So and you see it. Right in social media, you see the girls and you see the boys and you see all together. So I really love to know that um, football is not just the game, it's more than that. And I think that is the reason that Bradley and I want to search all this conversation with people like you uh, that really love the process, really love the game, and really at the end, they really love the business of or passion. Uh, thank you so much. Thank you. Uh, we really yeah, thank you guys. I enjoyed the conversation. Look forward to talking to you all soon. Take care. Um, so remember, uh, listen to us in Tika and Gringo talking about football um, in all our platforms, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and YouTube. This was an amazing episode. <laughs> Thank you.